It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. We are less than a month away from the primary election. If you're listening to this podcast on Friday, it's your last day to register to vote, by the way, for that primary election. Of course, you can register to vote early voting, but yeah, inside 30 days on the primary. And you know what? Session. Yeah, we're inside 30 days of session. Yeah, so the primary is May 17th, and after that, things are going to get uglier. Things seem pretty ugly right now, but they're (laughs) going to get uglier. So we all have that to look forward to. Oh, yeah, a lot of hurt feelings the day after the election when they have to show up and work together to improve North Carolina. It's going to be a really fun session. I'm putting quotes around fun. So let's just, you want to start with the top U.S. Senate race really heated up again this past week? Yeah, it sort of feels like we're becoming a podcast about that Senate race. It's just dominating our political talk. It's going to be the top of the ballot in November, and it's going to have a lot of effect down ballot. There were two debates One last Thursday, and then there was a debate at Spectrum News on Wednesday. All the U.S. Senate candidates on the Republican side showed up except for one person again. Ted Budd, I saw a tweet from Mark Walker. Did you see that tweet that said, I got a chance to catch up with Ted Budd before the debate, and it's just him like shaking hands with the air? Yeah. And then I saw Senator Joyce Kravick had photoshopped Mark Walker into that blank space that it showed Mark Walker shaking hands with Mark Walker. Mm -mm. Kind of. (laughs) It's like that meme of the guy with the gun, you know, like the action figure. Yeah. It's just obvious, right? Congressman Bud is not going to show up for a debate, and it must be the strategy being run out of that shop. I thought about this this morning, and I was wondering, like, what is the polling on whether debates move public opinion in that sort of race? We have seen candidates tank at the national level because of a debate. Some have pointed to Cal Cunningham's performance against Tom Tillis. That was a one-on-one debate. Was that me that you're talking about? Because I thought he did terrible. Am I some? (laughs) He did terrible. I mean, he got up there, said he wasn't going to take the vaccine. He didn't trust it. Tom Tillis just mopped the floor with him. And that was, you know, a lot of folks look at the text messages, but some point to those debates as the beginning of the end. Does the debate itself affect the voters? Or is your candidate just going to say something stupid and then it gets played on a loop and a loop and a loop? I did see two nights ago, I was in Hickory and I saw on TV for the first time an ad with Ted Budd and Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. And this was a ad, I think, being run by the Club for Growth, right? That ad dropped this week. Independent expenditure, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson endorsing Ted Budd and also taking some shots at Governor McCrory while doing so, said he was not a true conservative. I think that's something that we have heard plenty of times, like when Pat McCrory was mayor 
Pat, he was certainly more moderate than when he became Governor McCrory. So the evolution of his political life has really moved him center to right as he's moved along. You know, speaking of when he was governor, he did work closely with Senator Phil Berger, the president pro tem of the Senate. Senator Berger made a major announcement this week. He also endorsed Ted Budd, just saying that he was the electable conservative in that race, which is interesting because folks are lining up in that race for Ted Budd, one after the other. It seems like the party has come to a conclusion. Folks are doing the same thing it would appear with Chuck Edwards. It's interesting to see kind of a coordinated campaign as far as endorsements coming down the line within that one month mark. When you saw Senator Berger's endorsement of Congressman Bud for the race, did you pick up that maybe this whole electable thing was kind of a backhanded shot at Governor McCrory, implying that Governor McCrory is not electable? I don't know. It's no secret in Raleigh or statewide that when Governor McCrory was in the mansion, he did have some tension with Speaker Moore and Senator Berger. Yeah, they give him HB2. He signs it into law. And then he gives this half-throated kind of, well, I only signed it because I knew they would override me if I didn't sign it. And he managed to just make everyone angry. It seems like Governor McCrory has this way when he speaks. He gets everyone riled up at him. And it's caused, I believe, a lot of distrust as he's running for this U.S. Senate seat. And also, they had lawsuits against one another. That's right, they did. Just as another thing. <laughs> we got a month left of this race. In the meantime, we saw some campaign finance reports this week, even though Governor McCrory seems to just being walloped in this race. And again, this is according to polls. You, you can believe polls or not. We certainly can go back to 2016 And pollsters will tell you they aren't exactly getting it right these days. Governor McCrory is holding his own on fundraising. In fact, you can make the argument he's going neck and neck with Congressman Bud. That's right. He raised $1.13 million and Bud raised $1.125. Very close numbers. But in his account, he has $2.2 million and Bud has $1.9 million. But important to remember that Club for Growth is just going hard. They are spending big, big money in this race. They are spending $14 million so far. There's still a month left. There will be more money spent. But on the Democratic side, former Chief Justice Sherry Beasley, who has opponents, but no one can name who they are, she is amassing a big war chest for the November election. That's right. She raised $3.66 million this quarter. She has $5 million on hand entering into April. She's going to spend a little bit of that money because we saw an ad drop last week, which is kind of an introductory ad. She's in a car. She's talking about herself and her legal career. She's starting to spend a little money. I guess, you know, with all the attention going to the Republican side of this race, This is her opportunity to say, hey, I'm over here. Remember me, I'm running on the Democratic side. This week, we saw a dust up in the 4th Congressional District. This is the seat that's currently occupied by Congressman David Price. 
wow, it's getting kind of ugly over there in Orange Durham County for this race in the Democratic primary. Ugly is a good word. (laughs) Cringy. It's painful to see the news this week. I think it was on Monday when it was reported that APAC was the biggest funder of now State Senator Valerie Foshi's account. Yeah, and that's the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee. They were bundling about $165,000, which made it into her account. APAC has come under a lot of criticism recently, especially in Democratic circles about the role of the pro-Israel lobby in that party. Uh, Even Congressman Price has had some criticisms of APAC in the past. We saw a couple interest groups rescind their endorsement of Senator Fushi. So the fight seems to be between Senator Fushi and then Durham County Commissioner Nada Alam. But there is a third candidate here who's kind of laying back, being quiet, Maybe he walks right through the middle of this fight, and that is Clay Aiken, the American Idol runner-up of 20 years ago. He might be the benefactor of this fight. Could be. It's a little early to be talking about presidential politics, (laughs) but we did see something published in the Washington Post this week that got the attention of political observers here in town. Yeah, they listed a top 10 presidential candidate list, and Governor Cooper came in at number six. Number six. Fifth loser, some would say. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. So, yeah, they pointed to, of course, a Southern governor who has won the state twice as governor. He was attorney general, state senator. And then we had a poll this week that was released by our friends over at Spectrum News showing that he has 58% approval by North Carolina voters, 32% disapprove of him. I guess the other 10% just aren't paying attention one way or another. This was kind of fun chatter. The governor seemed to, you know, kind of rebuff this and say he supports President Biden, but had to feel good to see your your name in the Washington Post. Yeah, that's not the first time that we've heard this conversation. Yeah, and probably... It's not the first time we've talked about it on the podcast. Yeah, and it probably won't be the last because I'll tell you 2024 is going to be here before you know it. And I imagine that people will start campaigning in Iowa and New Hampshire probably in January, February of next year. So as we are preparing for the May 18th short session, many of us believe that a part of the agenda that we will see will be some sort of Medicaid expansion this year. However, There was a tweet made by Speaker Tim Moore this week that a lot of folks are kind of reading into. That's right. He tweeted out the Carolina Journal poll, which was about 600 likely Republican voters. So this is on the Republican side. And I think the statistic was about 58% of those folks thought there should be a work requirement to Medicaid expansion. There's still a lot of Republican voters, according to this poll, and you could argue about the wording of the poll. That's certainly debatable. 
But it seems like a lot of Republican voters are cool to the idea of expanding Medicaid. I believe we're one of 12 states that has not expanded Medicaid. Also about this committee that's looking into Medicaid expansion, there's some big buckets of work that committee's looking at. And so you're going to see some healthcare issues for sure this session. There's Medicaid expansion. That's number one on everyone's list. You see Medicaid expansion as a big bucket issue. There's CON reform, which if you're new to this, is a fight between the hospitals and independent surgery centers. Mm-hmm. And then number three is expansion of scope of practice for nurses. And that's something that Representative Adcock talked about. And so you have all of those different issues. And by the way, they're all competing with one another, which healthcare issue is going to move for sure. And many think that's going to be Medicaid expansion. I talked to a Democrat legislator today about this work requirement. We just were having a conversation. I just brought it up. By the way, how do you guys feel about the work requirement? And he said he didn't think it would be something that they would die on that hill where, you know, we're not going to vote for Medicaid expansion if it has a work requirement in it. But ultimately, this legislator said that the Democrats in the General Assembly would yield to Governor Roy Cooper. So I think as far as this debate, this is a fight between Governor Roy Cooper, Speaker Tim Moore, Senate President Pro Tem Phil Berger. As is everything. As is (laughs) at least all of the big issues. It seems to come down to those three gentlemen. This week we got to sit down with Senator Lisa Stone Barnes, and we talked to her about her life. What I thought was really interesting was her community outreach, some stuff we hadn't heard about from her before. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Senator Lisa Stone Barnes, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's like great to be here. To kick us off, tell us about your district. You can tell us about your current district or the district that you're running in, but where is your district? Who do you represent and why do you think your district's special? So I represent um, Nash County where I live and also part of Johnston County. Um, Senator Brent Jackson has the more of the geography part of Mm -hmm. Johnston County, but I have the population. Um, part of Johnson County and it's District 11 in the Senate um, and I love my district because of the the heritage there the agricultural background and heritage um, and I love that some so many of the small towns really celebrate um, their heritage with their festivals like Selma has the railroad days mm-hmm. and Smithfield has the ham and yam mm-hmm. festival in Kenley they have the tobacco festival and um and then also have they have the museums to go along with that in kenley the, the tobacco life museum the um country doctor museum in um bailey um where i grew up close to where i grew up and um and also the mills in rocky mount is um, converted from an old cotton mill mm-hmm. a long time ago um we have a really great farmers mar- market in nash county that kind of um 
came out of long time ago my husband's grandparents sold at they call it the curb market back then they sold their produce that they raised on the farm and they would take it to the curb market and um, so that kind of led into a really nice um, farmers market that we have very successful and popular in Nash County those um, are the things that I love about my district and also the the people to that are that have come mm. out of Nash County and Johnston County I mean people like um, Percy Flowers yeah. you know where the development the whole flowers mm. community came from and um, uh, Ava Gardner all right was uh, you know born and raised right outside of Smithfield uh-huh. and they have the Ava Gardner Museum there in Smithfield and then of course our governor um, grew up and was that's born true. and raised in Nash County so. that's true that's so. right can you talk a little bit about your history growing up on the farm? And then currently, my understanding is when I eat sweet potatoes, which is often, it comes from your farm. Awesome. Yes, we <laughs> we grow a lot of sweet potatoes. We're one of the largest growers, um, producers of sweet potatoes in the nation. We um, pack and ship our sweet potatoes all over the world. And it, people love North Carolina sweet potatoes. We have the right climate. We have the right soils to grow. Um, very delicious and nutritious sweet potatoes. But I actually grew up on a livestock oh. livestock farm. Um, my dad worked with the USDA, but he always had hogs on the side. Okay. Um, I'm one of five children. I have four brothers growing up. Um, I was smack dab in the middle, third child, middle child, two older brothers, two younger brothers. So there was always some kind of athletic competition going on at my house, whether it be playing football or basketball, (laughs) riding dirt bikes, or just, um, you know, trying to imitate Ric Flair and uh, (laughs) wrestling with each other on the living room floor. We we had all kinds of competitions. It was never a dull moment, but we had to help with the livestock. My my dad had a small operation with with sows and and the fairing house and when it was time to take the hogs to the market yeah that was everybody was all hands on deck then when i got married i married um uh, another nash county native um that grows row crops okay okay tobacco soybeans wheat um, and peanuts and our main crop is uh sweet potatoes you tom girl as a kid yeah, kind of both. You wouldn't think. I mean, people think, oh, you know, you were the princess or whatever. No, yeah. I, I was. I played football and 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 with the boys and rode dirt bikes and we did did all those things that you you have fun with outside growing up in the country. You went to school at Peace, NC State, and Meredith, right? <laughs> Tell us about your journey in education. So I started out when. Um, at Peace College when it was a two-year all-girls school. And that was a good fit for me coming out of a small town in high school, uh, not ready for a big university. And that uh, really helped me transition to NC State and enjoyed Raleigh. Mm-hmm. And um, But I, I lived at home. I went to summer school at State and would um, actually go back to the farm and work with mm-hmm. my my boyfriend at that time. Um, we were growing, uh, he was growing cucumbers, so I would I would go to summer school in the morning, come back in the afternoons, and, and work on the uh, cucumber grater. Okay. okay. And that was a very hot, sweaty, <laughs> dirty <laughs> job. Was thinking about going to law school, didn't know what I really wanted to do, and decided I had enough of school, but I could do the 
the program over at Meredith College that was a post baccalaureate degree there for um, the legal assistance program. Okay. So I, I did that, completed that in um, real estate. Oh. So then after I graduated, went to work for um, uh, an attorney there in Nashville and did real estate title work, which okay. kind of ties in with the whole conversation about heritage, because when you're doing title searches, it's kind of like putting the pieces together in yeah. a family tree a lot of times, yeah. when you see the different farms and how they were connected and they were passed down through generations, especially when there was a, a will involved. So it was very, it was very interesting. I, I enjoyed doing that and being you know, out and about, not just in the office behind a computer. I understand that you come from a huge family. So it's a little unusual. I do come from a big family on my dad's side. Um, my dad was one of 18 children, um, and his uh, mother passed away shortly after the birth of the 18th child. And then my granddaddy remarried and had nine more children. My goodness. So it is it's quite the family reunion when we get together. And I think in my generation, there are about 85 cousins. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the generations, I, you know, I can't even keep up, but it's, you know, it's well over, over 100 in the um, next generation. But it was always fun. Again, it was always something going on. We would go yeah. over to my granddaddy's house um, on Sunday afternoons, all the family, all the kids would get together. And granddaddy was in the timber business, and so he had his pilot's license and a and a small little Cessna airplane that he would cruise the timber with. And so he would he would give us airplane rides mm -hmm. on Sundays too. So it was it was like a three ring circus. So tell us a little bit more about your family. You got married, and you have some kids. Tell us about your family. So yeah, we have three children. They all went to NC State. My husband and I both and our three children are graduates from NC State, and they, they um, went into the agricultural programs there at State. And uh, so we are blessed that we just had our first grandchild, our oh, oldest daughter. Yeah, yeah congratulations. He was born on March 18th, three weeks early, but fine. Mother and child just doing really well. Wow. And the only little issue is there, in Boston, so um, a little, <laughs> little ways away. I was just like, some, you know, they're going to have to move down here or I'm going to move up there. <laughs> it's very hard leaving the uh, little grandchild. And, um, so, but we do FaceTime a lot. And then our son is back on the farm. He, um, he works with my husband on the farm. And he's married to uh, his, his Joshua and his wife, Rachel. And our youngest daughter, JC, will be getting married April 9th in just a few days. Wow. Right. So the baby was due April 9th, the same day as the wedding. Okay. Logistical issues. So, yeah, thank the Lord he did come early. Yeah. So I was able to spend time up there, and it, was, it wasn't conflicting with the wedding. Yeah, that is great. You served one term in the House last session. You're in your first term in the Senate this session. What got you into politics? So even before I was in the House, I served um, locally okay. as a county commissioner in Nash oh, County. Right. I did know that. So back... 10 years ago in 2012, um, I ran for the very first time. Um, I had been serving on the planning board there in Nash County again with, with a little bit of real estate background. And um, we had some some little is some issues, okay. some controversies going on and, yeah. and people um, asked me to run um, because 
the current county commissioner um, was not listening to his constituents. Uh, okay. So anyway, um, I ended up running and won um, and enjoyed serving at the local level. It's, you know, it was very rewarding. Yeah. You, know, you can see the policies and, the, and, the, and take effect and the results of the things that you're voting on directly. It's not as, you're not as far removed. So I served about six years as a county commissioner and then our house district changed mm -hmm. and Jeff Collins you know, decided mm -hmm. not to run again. And I uh, met with another county commissioner and we were like, okay, Jeff's not running. Well, do you want to run? What are you thinking? And I was like, no, I'm, I'm happy here at the local level. I enjoy it. And uh, I knew there were two other candidates that had already announced and I knew I would have a primary. And looking at those candidates and at the district, I said, you know, these, these candidates are not going to work, and so I ended up, <laughs> I ended up running um, for House yeah. in 2018. And you probably start with a few hundred. That's what votes. I was just thinking. <laughs> Within your family, get a little leg up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That helps. Yeah, <laughs> if every cousin votes. <laughs> That's right. That's right. They complained because I didn't live in my district when I was a county commissioner. I said, okay, now, no. you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all got to turn out for me. You're, you, you know, I got you covered, and y'all help me out. Oh, that's good. That's good. Well, what about this transition from the House to the Senate? What prompted that? I mean, so you go from county commission, you have a little trepidation. You go to the House, you have a little trepidation. Did, did you have a little pause I going did. to the Senate? Yeah. I did, because my, um, my district was pretty safe in the House, mm -hmm. and this was going to be more of a competitive race. Um, so it was a hard decision, mm -hmm. and I had really worked hard um, in in the new in that district and mm -hmm. had the primary and I had worked really hard uh, meeting people in Franklin County and getting out and about mm -hmm. uh, in that in that area and I was like I'm gonna have to start all over again in yeah. Johnston County because you know people don't know me but then again you know as it works out with family I, I had family in Johnston County that helped me and plugged me in with a lot of people and um, decided to to make the transition um, and go for it. Can you talk about what it means to you to be representing the district that you were born and raised in and your family, you have been there your entire life and be in that district and now you are the face of that district. Can you talk about what that means to you? I, I'm just so blessed to be able to represent the place where I grew up, that I know that it's, you know, it's my roots, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so I know the people there, I know um, the families, um, went to public school there, grew up, graduated you know, from public school there, and my, my children went to public school there in Nash County. And so it's, it means a lot to me to be able to, um, to have that kind of background and experience um, with the people that I grew up with and worked with. Um, went to church with and school with and um, you know are able to serve now and represent and I think we we, you know, we share a lot of the same values mm -hmm. and um, to be part of I mean everybody has a story about the farm it seems like sure. you know yeah. that's a common denominator also yeah. And, yeah. and it's character building right it really growing is growing up on a yeah. farm right? it's a lot of hard work and um, you develop that work ethic and there's no waste you know, on the farm, you're That's very right. resourceful. 
But yeah, it does mean a lot to me um, to be able to represent my family and to be from that area and, you know, where I've lived my whole life. We have to ask, which chamber do you like better? (laughs) (laughs) And you don't have to answer. (laughs) (laughs) They're both great. I have wonderful friends in both chambers. And, you know, the Senate, it's all about, you know, the numbers for the Senate. It's such a smaller group of people. It's, It's easier to get to know um, and build relationships there in the Senate. Although, you know, I'm so blessed because I know a lot of people in the House. And it's, it's great to have those relationships and, and know people all over the state. You're really involved in your local community as well, and you have been for a long time. What would you say that you're most passionate about as far as policies? When my children were growing up, um, I was involved in a Bible study, a women's Bible study. And um, out of that Bible study, um, a nonprofit was was developed was created um, called Do For Him Ministries, mm. and we ministered to people to women, primarily women who had generational issues, mm. um, were struggling, um, and we had Bible studies with them, and we also went into the women's prison, mm. and so that was very rewarding um, to be able to minister and go in women's prison. We, we um, had small groups in women's prisons for over 10 years, mm. and I was involved in that. Mm. So I'm really, um, our, our goal is um, to have a transitional home for women that are coming out um, and to reduce the recidivism, um, because we found that a lot of times when the women were getting ready to get out and go back, they did not want to go back into their communities where right. they were, they had, um, the problems to begin with and some of those bad relationships. So we have uh, as a goal to have a transitional home for them to come in like an 18 month program to transition them back into society and really have develop, develop their relationship with the Lord. Where does this passion come from? It sounds like your faith Absolutely. means a lot to you, but can you expound on it? Where does it, where does this passion come from for this particular sector of people? Yes, my, my faith is huge. Um, we have a lot of ministers in our family. Um, and so that's, that's a big part of our uh, my family's heritage is um, our church and, and our faith. When you study God's Word and you see what's possible, I can't do it myself, but I have to rely on the Lord and His strength and um, to help other women. It's what we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You know, we're supposed to be servants, and um, that's, that's the, the example that Jesus set. Does this inform your work in politics. I mean, we just came out of a session where a lot of bipartisan legislation was passed that helped women in particular. We had the marriage bill, the shackling bill. Does that kind of inform who you are when you're serving in the Senate? Those are, of course, issues that um, I want to be more involved in Mm -hmm. and see, you know, how we can really um, shape and maybe have some reform in our, our prisons and um, especially reducing recidivism and helping the women transition back into society and having um, I mean being back into into society and with their families and with their children and after being away so you know I'm very passionate about that and that must be really rewarding to see folks that you've worked with come out and maybe 
strengthen their faith while they're in prison and then they come out and they can serve their communities in different ways. Absolutely. That I mean, that's what we're called to do as well, you know, make disciples. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we can make disciples, it's that whole multiplication effect. Mm-hmm. It is very rewarding and I'm, I've been very blessed to um, be able to be participate in, in some of that ministry. Yeah. Um, we have a mutual friend. Uh, his name is Keith Wilder. He listens to the podcast. He is a battalion chief here in Raleigh, and he grew up with you. He absolutely adores you and your family and your husband and kids, and he has been very helpful in getting you on the podcast, and he has, you know, firefighters support you in this district. They just love the work you did, especially when you served on general government in the House. You did a lot for them, line of duty death, and he just speaks so highly of you. Can you tell us funny stories about Keith Wilder? Oh, my goodness. Oh, that's a wide open question. Um, you know, I had a my cousin who I told you was very much like my sister, and so she and Keith dated a few times. Oh, so, did they? Yeah, so it was, it was, um, it was fun um, hanging out with him. And, uh-huh. Yeah, he's a great guy, and I call him a lot yeah. you know whenever something's going on like hey help me help me out on this and you know, spread the word yeah and he does it he, he does. is your voice inside the firefighter community uh you have someone who is constantly telling us we've got to support senator barnes uh, <laughs> but he does think a lot of you and, and uh great. yeah he is a good guy so to close us out you know that our politics are incredibly divided right now if you had a magic wand and you could fix one thing in our politics today, what would it be? So um, thinking about the, the division and the disagreements in politics, um, I think we just need to do a better job listening, do a, a better job disagreeing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I disagree with my husband on, on a lot of things, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean we're, gonna, we're getting a divorce tomorrow. Right. So we just have to be very intentional, I think, about listening and it takes a lot of effort. It takes energy to do that. And we're serving two-year terms. We've got so much going on. And we need more time to build those relationships. And I was just blessed to be able to participate with a group um, that was very diverse, um, bipartisan group um, from all across the state. And we had these intentional conversations. We had facilitators. And, and they had us in small groups. And we did exercises. And we talked about one issue in particular it was it was school choice and so mm-hmm. to hear other people's opinions and where they they were coming from and their life experiences um, about school choice and what led them to have the beliefs that they had uh, you know it's very informative we were able to um, build relationships this this um, coalition was over um, probably 18 months so we met mm-hmm. all during that time mm-hmm. and um, met afterwards and had follow-up um, conversations about what are you doing how can you better understand the other positions so i mean division's not anything new we've had it all throughout history it's just the wording seems to be more intense now you know extreme polarization and of course we can do things better but i think being intentional about about listening about developing those relationships um is one way and the other way i think is that we should really pay attention and um try to be, do a better job exposing some of the misinformation mm-hmm. that's out there. Um, that was one of the things that really surprised me when I 
first um, came to the legislature was if you look at the news and read the papers, you think that we hate each other. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's just not like that at all. Um, there's, right. you know, there's a couple of issues that we're divided on, but for the most part, we get along pretty good. I think that was very, that was very surprising to me to, um, to just see how nice people really mm -hmm. were and willing to work together. Social media seems to be pushing a lot of this too. So you described the 18 month conversation you had with a bipartisan group of colleagues. I think the key word was probably conversation, right? You're talking in person instead mm -hmm. of on social media. That's right. Exactly. You're having, I mean, you're building relationships. Yeah. And so now, um, I feel comfortable talking with those people that I have built a relationship with who are across the aisle, but I can, there are women that I, that I know and, um, have, spent time with and, mm -hmm. and know a little bit about their background and their personal life. So it makes it a lot easier to, to work together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Senator Lisa Stone Barnes, we appreciate everything you do for your district, everything you do for the state. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. It's so fun to learn about legislators' lives and livelihoods. You know, when I think about watermelons, I think about Senator Brent Jackson. When I buy sweet potatoes or eat sweet potatoes, and that is something we eat a lot of in our house, I think of Senator Barnes and the idea that maybe this sweet potato came from her farm. You know, there's so much diversity in the General Assembly. People come from so many different professions. It's interesting to get a peek behind the curtain as to what they do and their livelihoods. And this family farm that she runs with her husband is just incredible. Appreciate her sharing her story, coming on to the podcast. It was a treat. Brian is also one of those people that when you're driving, no matter where we're going, he'll be like, oh, this is so-and-so's district. This is so-and-so's mm -hmm. district. Do you, do you not do that? You don't think about what district you're in? No. I don't really know my way around. <laughs> you're so used to be driven around, right, <laughs> that, that you don't have to pay attention to where you're going. Just people drive you. <laughs> and well, I like to like do work in the car or sing along or... I have to be distracted in the car. I just can't be looking around. Yeah. And you know that if you call someone, they'll take you somewhere, right? <laughs> like you, you'll walk to the office on a somewhat Sir. cloudy day and you'll, <laughs> you know. It's and then when it's pouring, I ask you to take me home. I don't think that's too much to ask for. It's not. I just love that you know that I'll do it, right? But I, sometimes it doesn't say it's going to rain and then it just starts raining. I'm like, well... How am I gonna get home today? <laughs> <laughs> Remember but the, when you? But the the joke is on me because we get in the car <laughs> and it's raining and Brian has the top down, so it's the same as walking home in the rain. <laughs> That's true. When I drive through Johnston and Nash County, I think of Senator Barnes, and when I my 
mother-in-law makes this incredible sweet potato dish that really should be a dessert. You know, it's got the graham crackers on top and the cinnamon. It's just baked in with all that butter and, oh, it's so good. I think of Senator Barnes. People should know that I stayed with Brian's in-laws last night, actually. (laughs) (laughs) And we were talking about, oh, she was talking about macaroni and cheese. And we were talking about when I make macaroni and cheese and how you had just talked about eating that whole dish of macaroni and cheese that I'd made you. And she said, yeah, Brian can sure put down some food. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, Mama. That was very kind. All right, so we need to get into this Tweet of the Week. Are you ready? I'm ready. Tweet, tweet of, of the week. week. This week's Tweet of the Week comes from Stephen Wiley. He's at Stephen B. Wiley. You only refer to him as Stephen B. Wiley. So he tweeted, Some friends asked us for dinner recommendations in Raleigh, and my wife suggested the pit, like we're some people who just moved here and have zero taste buds. <laughs> I will note that Lucille Sherman responded, okay, but what did you recommend? I need to know. And he said, I made a slideshow a couple of years ago. (laughs) I'll try to find it and update it. So look forward to his slideshow. I know this is sort of a Raleigh tweet, but it is funny and also a barbecue debate. I don't mind the the pit. I find the pit, I mean, it's a funny tweet and I get it. I like the whole ambiance at the pit and then you can go next door and play video games at the boxcar. I took my family, obviously my grandparents are Midwestern. When they came out here when I graduated law school, the first night they were here, I took them to a place in Carborough. Okay, Midwestern people. My grandparents are very much steak and potatoes type of people. I took them to this place. My grandpa ordered fried chicken. Bless their hearts. They brought out a fried chicken that was like panko encrusted smashed chicken and it had some arugula on top of it and he points at it and he's like i didn't ask for grass <laughs> what is this and so like a couple of days later they were here for like maybe four-ish days we went to the pit and he was so happy to have normal fried chicken there yeah it's good normal food yeah and it's downtown the weekend's coming sky what are you up to So it's one of my friend's birthdays this weekend, and last year we went to the beach for her birthday, and it was fine, and I like going to the beach. I like to read a book. I like to not be bothered. However, this particular friend is more of an adventure person. She made it crystal clear that she wanted to go camping. So... (laughs) (laughs) This seems like comedy in the works. Okay, your girl is not a camper. No, I don't see that. <laughs> I don't see this at all. But uh, please tell us more. So I spent some time looking for places to go. And it's a surprise. So she doesn't know yet, but she'll know on Friday. And I look for all these places. And we I found a place that's more like glamping. But you still have to like... Glamping as in glamorous camping? Yeah, but okay. you still like go to the bathhouse and stuff. So it's like church camp upscale. Wow. <laughs> In my opinion. And it said that there's no cell phone service or Wi-Fi, so you need to download what you're going to do, which sounds horrible. Right. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. So <laughs> this is nervous laughter. It sounds like nervous. I'm nervously laughing with you here. One time my family went camping, and I was like eight or nine. We took a tent, we drove like two and a half hours to some place. 
We did not set up the tent correctly, and it rained all night. Four people, one dog, one tent, soaking wet. <laughs> wow. That's my experience. We all smelled like the dog the next morning. We got up. We're like, let's go home. And since then, none of us have gone camping. <laughs> <laughs> get, get, where are you guys going camping? Is this a mountain camp, local? Yeah, it's, it's on the river in Marion. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so that's where we'll be. Um, <clears throat> yep. And you're... <laughs> You're leaving when and returning when? We're leaving Friday. I have a case Friday, but okay. we're going to leave after that, and then we'll come back on Sunday. So it's just a quick little trip. It's going to be a long trip for you, I think. It's going to be long. <laughs> it is going to be long. And are there things I would rather be doing? Yes. Uh-huh. But is this what my friend wants to do for her birthday? Yes. So am I doing it? Also, yes. Yeah. Am I going to have fun while I'm doing it? No. <laughs> yeah, man. I went to an Assemblies of God church as a kid, and we had this alternative to the Boy Scouts called Royal Ambassadors. <laughs> <laughs> so we went on this camp- <laughs> we went on this camping trip, and we were out in a canoe. Like all these little 10-year-olds are out in this canoe, and we had our guide with us. He was our royal ambassador leader. This snake is in the water. Oh, no. And he's just treading water, you know, and all the kids are like, look at the snake. Wow, it's a snake. And our camp leader pulls out a gun. (laughs) (laughs) Like... Clint Eastwood style. I mean that that thing looks so long coming out of the out of his jacket, right? And he l- lowers the gun and he just blows the snake. That's awesome. To like a million pieces. And all I remember was all, Brian Lewis is saying there's a child just crying. <laughs> all the kids were crying. I mean, we were just like weeping. He was like, "Shut up," you know. <laughs> I like that guy. (laughs) Sounds like a real man. Yeah. So anyway, it was just one of those things. We thought the snake was cool. I mean, the snake was treading water, you know, was doing his thing. And then all of a sudden, he's blown into a million pieces. That could happen to anybody. (laughs) (laughs) It could. could. I hope you don't have anything like that this weekend. I hope you enjoy the nature. Well, the thing is that I did go to church camp, Mm -hmm. and I was avid about going to I loved church camp we planned our family vacations around it I would not miss church camp for the world really and we did stay outside in Hogan's okay and I loved it so I I mean I'm sort of outdoorsy yeah well I hope you have a good time if I don't make it back next week Thanks so much. And if you don't leave us a five-star review, I'll haunt you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, be sure to download the podcast so you can listen to it while you're there. Obviously, I will. Mm -hmm. Well, that's all the time we have. I was hoping to talk to Senator Mike Woodard, uh, but it looks like we've run out of time once again. This weekend, while you are sitting around the campfire talking to your friends about politics what's going on in the world whatever it may be your favorite sports team remember to do politics better